Good morning. How are you on this beautiful, sunshiny day? I get all kinds of interesting stuff sent to me, and I'm sure you, you do too. Somebody sent this. Um, it was a sign found at the entrance to a church in France. It said, when you enter this church, it may be possible that you will hear the call of God. However, it is highly unlikely that He will call you on your cell phone. Therefore, thank you for turning off your phones in church. If you want to talk to God, enter, choose a quiet place, and talk to Him. But if you want to see Him sooner, then send Him a text while driving. Yes. My responsibility this morning is to deliver the truth of the Word of God from this pulpit. And that I will do with the help of the Holy Spirit. And how many are ready for it? Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to read our text together. We're going to read from Galatians 5. I'm sure they're going to put the Scripture up for us now. Let's say this. I say then. And the like. How many of you are glad you came to church this morning? Let's finish with the rest of it. How many want to walk and live in the Spirit? May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of the Word today, and the church said, Amen. You can be seated. In the book of Galatians that we just read from, we hear God's passion and His purpose expressed through the Apostle Paul, calling His people and calling us today to a life of walking in the Spirit. Now, let me give you just a brief bit of background. We need to understand that there was a battle that was raging in the churches in the northern part of the province of Galatia when this was being written. The church there had been in existence for some 15 to 20 years. However, the church was withering. They were withering in their witness. They were withering in their power. And they were diminishing in their impact upon their world, upon their day and their generation. A large number of Christians were moving away from what you and I know as a Spirit-filled life. Some of that is because they had come under the influence of what 
theologians refer to as Judaizers. Judaizers. Judaizers were those who were trying to bring them back into legalism, trying to bring them back under the law. The Galatians had come to faith in Christ. They had known what it was to walk in freedom. They had known what it was to walk in the Spirit and in the fullness of the Spirit. But the Judaizers were alluring them back into ritualism, luring them back into that which they had known in the past, which was somewhat safe to them or secure to them or, or common to them. And it was, a, it was ritualism and it was a superficial faith and the observance of law where you are filled with spiritual pride, but you are void of the indwelling Holy Spirit. How many are thankful that the Holy Spirit dwells within us? The Christians were being troubled by visiting preachers and that were coming by and drawing them back into the law, and they were therefore falling back into a life where there was no mark of difference in them, nothing that set them apart, no longer being transformed into the image of Christ, where Christ is being made real in and, and through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. But rather, what they were doing and what they had was the very old standard of mediocre, mediocre Christianity where their eyes then were no longer really on Christ, but they were on one another instead of what God had in store for them by His Spirit. Bethesda, this is a reminder to us today. We cannot, we must not put our eyes on average American Christianity. We cannot, we must not put our eyes, take our eyes off of Jesus and put our eyes on average American Christianity. We cannot put our eyes on average church life. We are to look at what Christ is calling us to in His Word. We must remain true to our commitment to His Word, which is why we're reading together so diligently. We must look at what He is calling us to by His Spirit, which is to live a life that is marked by a difference. Somebody say amen to that. And we know what the difference is. The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe, and I'm sure you do too, that God is raising up a people in the world who will be walking in the difference of the Holy Spirit, who will be walking in the difference of love in a difference of peace in their lives, a difference of joy, a difference of meekness, a difference of patience when everything else is not, a difference of long-suffering, a difference of self-control. They're walking, this, the people, the army of God, the people God is raising up in this day and hour, they want to walk by the difference of the Holy Spirit. How many want to be part of that group? Now, this gradual return for the Galatians to their past religiosity was having was greatly impacting uh, greatly affecting their impact and here's why because the difference that mark of difference say that phrase mark of difference that difference had become uh, in them living by the power of the spirit had become less and less discernible, discernible in them in fact even we're told this, uh, the, this spiritual danger had even reached the leaders who had known a deep communion with the Spirit of God. Now, I want to be careful to not disparage the Apostle Peter here 
but it is clearly, clearly uh, given to us in the Word that we see the challenge between Paul and Peter in Galatians chapter 2. And I know you've read this because we've already been through Galatians uh, in our immersed Bible, but let me just remind you, Galatians 2 verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him, Paul says, to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from, uh, from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with hypocrisy. The apostle Peter had been preaching a freedom from the law, and he had been preaching new life in Christ. He had been preaching a life of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. But when he was put under pressure... He was acting one way, trying to please the legalizers, trying to please the Judaizers, which reminds us this morning that there is within each of us a carnal tendency to stop and rest in outwardness and the pleasing of men. It is there. You may not think so. You may consider yourself a renegade. You may think you're, but there is within each of us a carnal tendency to stop and to simply rest in outwardness, in the outward appearances, and to rest in this thing of just the pleasing of men rather than doing what the Spirit of God is calling us to do and what He's calling us to be. So God passionately calls them back to walk in the difference of the Holy Spirit and to overcome the lusts of the flesh. You know, church, you can recognize who someone is representing by the way they walk. You can know who their master is. You can know what they are driven by, what they are motivated by, what they, by the way they walk. Now, the Bible tells us that the Spirit bears a fruit within us. We just read about it, a fruit within us that will be our mark of difference. When Paul describes that difference, that fruit, he says that there's one that is, that is the supremely identifiable mark of a believer. And that one fruit particularly that is the supremely identifiable, identifiable mark of a believer is love. Now, the Apostle John, who had been an angry man, who was capable of fury, capable of vengeance, a man for whom meekness and love and forgiveness and kindness and self-control were far from him, here's what he wrote. He says, by this we know we have passed from death unto life. Something had happened in him. Because he says, by this we know that we have passed from death into life. Not because we go to church. It's a good thing to be in church. Not because we've learned Christian words or certain Christian phrases that we can say. It's not even proof that we've passed from death unto life because we pray. Many religions pray. Not because we have outward sanctification. Many religions have that. Not because we observe certain days, Easter or Good Friday, or, or, or we observe certain practices, even of fasting. or whatever. Not because the things that we observe, many religions observe things. Not because we study a religious text, many study a religious text. By this, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. It is the mark of difference. The mark of difference. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning why love should be our highest priority and the most sincere pursuit of our lives. I'm asking you to listen carefully to me this morning. And here's the three if you're taking notes. <clears throat> because 
Why should it be our highest priority? Why should love be our highest priority? Because love is the purest and highest adoration. Number two, love alone will make us true ambassadors. Number three, love is never accidental, but it is always the way to abundance. Let me give you the first one. Love is the purest and highest form of adoration. I want to propose to you, I'm going to talk about what true worship is. Lots of people ask me questions about worship. True worship is this. It's our hands and our hearts, which we sang that very lyric this morning, our hands and our hearts reaching out to God, but then those same hands and hearts, after having reached out to God, will reach out to others in love. It is hands up and then hands out. That is true worship. In the book of Matthew, when a young lawyer of the Pharisees came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is it? Of all the things that we've learned that we know that we're supposed to do, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what Jesus said to him. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Oh, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made a very bold statement. Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, you and I hear that and we've read it and that kind of slides over us without much impact. The fact that, that on those two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. That goes over us quickly. But when Jesus said that, I, I have a tendency to think that everybody would have gone, what? What did he say? Those two? You see, they had, anybody know how many laws they had? 613 laws. 613 laws. And they had experts who would spend their entire life studying just one of those laws. That's how important, what a big deal it was. So just imagine the impact when Jesus said that all of it, how large the law was to them and how it had dominated their life. He said all of it hangs on the fact that you are to love God, hand up, and love your neighbor, hand out. True worship, true, pure worship is loving God and loving your neighbor. True adoration is hands and hearts reaching out to God. Those same hands and hearts reaching out to one another. One cannot be separated from the other. Jesus said, whoever expresses love to one of the least of these does it unto me. So what he's saying to us is this. When you're being kind, when you're being releasing and forgiving, when a husband speaks a kind word to his wife or a wife speaks a kind word to her husband, what Jesus says, you're not only ministering to that person, you're not only doing something for them or blessing them, you are ministering to Jesus himself. See, I think in our minds, we separate those things. I go to church, I lift my hands, I might even bow, I sing the songs, and then I walk out and I do my, no, 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 no. That's not what he's telling us and what's being said to all of us. True worship is hands up, and then immediately we have an eye, we have a sensitivity to those who are around us. Now, it will even stun the righteous because uh, the, the Scripture says in Matthew 25 that they were saying, Lord, when did we feed you? Or when, when did, 
or you were thirsty and we gave you a drink? See, we've separated those things in our mind. Because you said that you were hungry. I was hungry and you fed. When did we see you a stranger and take you? I don't remember that. Do you, Joe? Remember that? I don't, I don't think that happened. Or, or, or naked and clothe you. And when, when did we see you sick? Or in, when did we see you in prison? I don't think I ever saw you in prison. And come to you. Lord, when did we do that? Verse 40 says, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you minister to one of the least of these, my brethren, you were worshiping me. The reason why the difference of the Spirit is love is because love is the purest and highest adoration. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, love is blind? Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase, love is blind. Sometimes you might have seen a young lady smitten by a young man, and you and I might look at home and go, really? But somehow, there's little hearts floating over her head, and she sees him through a completely different lens, and she's just all a flutter over him, and we're looking at him, and everybody else can see it, and so what do we say? We say, you know what, I guess love is blind. But I'm going to propose to you this morning that love is not blind. In fact, what I'm going to say, actually, true love, the love that comes by the Spirit of God, opens your eyes. It causes you to see the world around you. It causes you to see things you weren't seeing before. It allows you to see the needs of others that you've not seen before. It is, and it also allows you, it opens your eyes to see your own re- reactions and your own attitudes that were of the flesh and, and not in love toward your wife or toward your husband or toward your children. You begin to see that. You, you have a, a growing sensitivity to that because love is not blind. Love actually opens your eyes. Love also makes you see your own insecurities or your own jealousies or your own envy. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God wants to fill us day after day, and He says to us, above all things put on love. Somebody say hallelujah. True Christianity, true worship never stops with just the hands and the hearts lifted up to God. Every time you lift, I know I'm saying it many times, every time you lift your hands and hearts to God, those same hands come back and reach out to others, expressing His love. It's the purest form of worship. For many years in this church and the church around the world, we sang, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Who sang that? Lots of us did. And somehow we convinced ourselves, we were singing it, we did it here, that a sacrifice of praise and what would really evoke this emotion within us, a sacrifice of praise was when we came to church and we didn't feel like it. That was our sacrifice of praise. Or maybe it went a little deeper than that. And what we call a sacrifice of praise is that time when we lifted our hands in worship but our bank account was empty. Or that we came to church and we lifted our hands to worship the Lord and declare His greatness but, but, but there was turmoil in our home and, and arguing and fighting and stuff going on. But we're going to call that, that's my sacrifice of praise. I don't feel like praising, I don't, but I'm going to do it sacrificially unto you. Let's see what the Scripture says about that in Hebrews 13. Therefore, this is the verse that we read as we would sing that song. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
Oh, yes, we bring the sacrifice. And we sang it enthusiastically. But look at the next verse. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That's why I'm saying to you this morning, reminding myself as I remind you, the truest, purest form of adoration and worship is hands that are lifted up, acknowledging the greatness of God, but those same hands have to come and reach out to others. Many of you will remember the name Darlene Zeck. She's been an incredible gift to the church around the world, prolific songwriter, magnificent worship leader from Hillsong in Australia. She's given us many, many songs, many to the church that we've sung for the last couple of decades, and probably the most famous, I would assume, would be Shout to the Lord that we sang here for a long, long time. Very gifted woman. Her songs have brought literally millions into the presence of God. And for years during this time uh, when she was serving so dynamically there, that Hillsong produced worship videos, many worship videos. I know many of you have seen them or have them. Well, Darlene tells in one of her books of being in this moment where they were, um, they were filming one of these worship videos. The stadium was packed, thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of people involved on this, on this large stage with singers and musicians, and they knew that by satellite, hundreds of churches were involved in the event as well, so many, many, many hundreds, if not thousands, were viewing all this. So in a huge, big event... She talks in her book about dedicating her whole life to worship, and that's what she had done, about bringing people into the presence of God. That's what she'd done her whole life. But the night of this one major recording of video and audio, she came away with the strangest feeling that she just said, something wasn't right. Something within me wasn't right. Something is missing. And then she found herself reading this passage in Hebrews that I, I just read to you a moment ago. That to offer the sacrifice of praise, but do not forget to go to the poor, to show kindness, and to do good. For all of it is worship that is pleasing unto God. So she thought, okay. She began to do missions trips, much like what we do here at Bethesda with Stephen Evans and Light of Life International. Many, many dozens of you have been on trips with us. And on these missions trips that she went on, she was not known as Darlene Jack. I mean, yeah, she was Darlene, but she was just a lady with a ponytail and a ball cap on. And all day long, she would do what we do on those trips. She served children. She gave them toys, and she, she served food to the poor and the needy, and, and she did lots of menial tasks. And you want to know what's a mission trip like? Yeah, it's doing lots of menial tasks. And she was just helping the nurses that had gone, the doctors that had gone, and, and feeding others, and, and, and praying for people and such. And she said, I had never before felt that what I was doing was so pleasing to God. You know what, I, I was looking through this material and looking at that section of her book, it sounds very much to me like what our BSM students at the laundromat once a month here. They just go and, and share Jesus and help people and help pay for their, put the quarters in for their uh, laundry and they've got soap and bleach and all the stuff they need. They feed them food. They just reach out to them. Well, Darlene says at the end of one 12-hour day of missions work, they were going to have a, a meeting in the evening. The leaders did not know she was Darlene. She was, just a lady, she was just a lady in the group to them. And that evening, they had a children's meeting where they were 
trying to get the children to, to, to sing. Well, for some reason, it was a little bumpy. It wasn't going well. The kids weren't really cooperating. And, and finally, somebody that was in leadership, uh, you know, because most of the people who'd come on the missions trip were lined around the back of the church. Whoever was leading said, is there anybody here who can sing? So she was standing in the back. Really, her identity had not been made known, and she was sort of hesitating and looked to see if anybody else was going to raise her hand. Finally, she just rather bashfully raised her hand. She was like, I can sing a little. <clears throat> so they had her come up, and she gathered the kids around her, and she began teaching them one of her very famous songs, All Things Are Possible. And she brought these kids into worship after having spent the whole day serving them. And here's what she says in her book. I never had felt so sure that this was true worship. Hands up to God and hands out reaching others. The hand that reaches up must also be the hand that reaches out. Love is the purest and highest adoration. Number two, love alone will make us true ambassadors. We know that 2 Corinthians tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. Every single one of us is called to represent Him. So how do we do that? Do we do it by witnessing? Yes. Do we do it by telling others about Christ? Yes. Do we do, we do it many other ways? Yes. Lots of ways. How do we do it? I propose that love alone makes us true ambassadors. Through love, we serve one another. When Malachi, the, the last uh, book of the Old Testament, was calling people to generosity, to giving, he says, then we will see again the difference, the mark of difference, let me add. We will see the difference between the one who serves God and the one who does not. Jesus said, it is love that will identify you as my ambassador. And I know that there are some people who say, you know, I'm just not the missions type. It's just not me. I mean, I, I, my, my religion is, is private. I just keep it very personal. It's just within. It's just me and the Lord, and, and you know, and, and it's just a very private thing for me, and I, I'm happy for all those who go, and, and, or, and not only missions, but whether it's in another country or, or here in our community, whatever, that's great. You know, I, I'm just more private about it, and I'll pray for them. I might even give them a little bit of money. Well, James, in chapter 2 of James, says this. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? Great. You do well. But guess what? Even the demons believe and tremble. So he's basically saying, so are you, are, are you saying that your whole story is, oh, I, be, I believe in God. I'm very private about it. I believe in God. Wonderful. So do the demons. They believe in God also. And then he goes on to say, oh, foolish man, faith without works is dead. Without the works of love, faith is dead. I want to propose to you that only true love, love for God, Love among ourselves. Love for our families. Love for the six other nationalities and cultures that meet in this building today. Love for the people in our city who do not love us back. Love for the people of the nations. Love for the young women who come to us through the ministry of Embrace Grace. They had a fabulous event last night. It was beautiful. Only love will make us true ambassadors. 
I have found a, a modern version of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think you're going to like it. It's called the parable of a man who fell into a pit. A man fell into a pit and was lying there bloody, paralyzed with pain, a prisoner in the pit. And there were lots of different people who walked by. A passive, subjective person came along and he said, I feel for you there in that pit. You'd have seen that people who come by and they say, I, I feel for you as they walk on by, usually walking a little faster as they leave you. A logical, analytical person came and said, um, the logical person said, considering the hidden nature of the pit, the lighting, the angle of the road, and your step pattern and past history of clumsiness, it is empirically and scientifically understandable why you fell into that pit. Sociologist came along and he said, here are 17 database reasons why social, hereditary, cultural, human and psychological influences, environment and events have created a predisposition which has made you a person susceptible to falling into a pit. A Freudian psychoanalyst said, your mother puts you in that pit. Psychologists uh, came along and said, what are you feeling in that pit? How do you feel about being in that pit? A blogger came by and he asked him if he wanted to become his Facebook friend while he was in the pit. And you want to tweet 140 characters six times per day, but anything that goes through your head while you're in the pit. The Pharisee said with a bit of a, a snub, only bad people fall into a pit. That's what the Pharisee said. A Hinduist said, it's because of your past life that it's your karma to be in that pit. A cable network executive said, how would you like for us to put mics and cameras all over the pit so that make, we can make you a star of a brand new reality television program called Life in the Pit? The IRS worker came by and said, have you paid your taxes on that pit? Fort Worth City inspector came by and says, do you have a permit to be in that pit? A name it and claim it hyper-charismatic came by and said, just confess, my brother, there is no pit. A self-centered Christian came by and said, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you about my pit. But I want you to know here at Bethesda, where we have ambassadors of Jesus, an ambassador of Jesus didn't say anything. That ambassador just reached down and pulled the guy out of the pit. Hallelujah. You know what? True ambassadors of Jesus around the world will be men and women who've known brokenness and hurt. We sang this morning, welcome into this broken vessel. I couldn't help but think about that knowing I was going to share this with you. The people who are true ambassadors. See, we have a tendency to think, I've got to get it all together before I can really share Christ. I've got to, I've, you know, everything's got to be perfect in my life, and I need to, you know, no. The truth is, how many totally together people do we have in the room? Okay. He's lying, but that's okay. Let that guy. No, I'm kidding. True ambassadors of Jesus around the world will be men and women who've known brokenness, they've been hit with life surprises, they've known what it is to hurt, they've been torn apart, but they have been put back together by the power of God and the Spirit of God, and they are able to supernaturally love other people because they want to be people of true, pure adoration and true, pure worship.
Church, the society that we live in is not starving for one more fat, flashy preacher. They're starving for men and women who are walking in the Spirit and men and women who are operating in supernatural love. Can I get an amen to that? Love is the purest and highest adoration and worship. Love alone will make us true ambassadors. Number three, love is never accidental, but it's always the way to abundance. Some of you may know this story. I ran across it. It's a story of a man named Brian Jackson, B-R-R-Y-A-N, Brian Jackson. The story some time ago was on every news network and in every form of media. I think we have his picture. The story catches your eye because the title is this, The Power of Faith and Forgiveness. It's the story of this boy who, when he was five years old, there was a fight between his mom and dad who were divorced. The dad come over. It was a terrible fight that ensued. The boy, when the father came to visit the boy, the father was so filled with rage, so filled with hate, so filled with anger. There came a moment when he asked the boy's mother to go to another room and to get him a glass of water and tried to get her distracted for just a bit. And while she was out of the room, this father did what he had planned for many months to do. When the mother was out of the room, he pulled out a syringe filled with blood that was tainted with the HIV virus, and he injected his five-year-old son. Why did he do it? He did it so that the boy would die and the father would not have to pay child support. He was found guilty, and he received a life sentence. The young boy got full-blown AIDS. He became very hard of hearing. And in his teenage years, he says, yeah, the disease was eating at me, but worse than that, the hatred in my heart for my dad was killing me. He couldn't drink at fountains. He was ostracized like a leper. He was dealing with shame and hurt, suicidal thoughts, no value in life. He was dispensable. But somehow, someone witnessed to them, and in his teenage years, his mother came to faith, and he came to faith. When he accepted Christ as a teenage boy, he made a very, very important and pivotal decision in his life. He decided to forgive his father, to release him from what he had done. He said, I did not have the power within myself, but through my faith in God, I'm able to release him. So he began writing letters to his dad and, and to forgive him. And here's the interesting thing, that the doctors who were treating this young man with AIDS could not understand, but there was an, an unusual correlation that when he released his dad, when he forgave his dad, almost immediately his health got better to the point that today he is 27 years old and there is no identifiable trace of AIDS in his system whatsoever. <laughs> Love is never accidental, but it is always the, the way to abundance. Love is never accidental. 
It is always the way to abundance. Love will never fail. Love is the mark of difference in the believer. It's what causes us to stand out. It's what, what clarifies that we are people who are walking in the Spirit. And it is the true path to God's abundance. There's a prophetic scripture in, in Isaiah 58 that totally supports what I just told you. It says this, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And here's the abundance. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Then you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Thus saith the Lord to Bethesda this morning. It is the true path of abundance because love always hopes and love never fails. Bethesda, it is a choice for you and me every day to be filled with the love of God for other people. I'm going to close with this, Pastor Brent. <clears throat> Lord, help me communicate this well. Let me tell you about a lady whose husband had left her. She was a single mom. One of her sons was not coming to church with her. He was about 14, 15-year-old boy. Not a bad boy, but you know you've heard this story. started hanging out with some older guys, trying to be accepted by some of the cool guys, the older guys, people he thought was cool. Not the best influence at all. Well, one night, he got in a car with some of these older friends. The boy who was driving the car he was in got completely, completely drunk. He ran a red light, and a huge truck came in and hit them on the passenger side, killing the 15-year-old son of this lady I'm telling you about. The boy who was driving went into a juvenile center for drunk driving and voluntary manslaughter. There were drugs in the car and who knows what else. The mother of the boy who was killed had been a believer and was a believer. She went back to church full of anger and she was absolutely burning with bitterness and especially against the boy who had been driving the car that killed her son. Her story says her only thought was this, you stole my son from me. You stole him. There was such hatred in her heart. She gets back to church, singing in the choir, choir robe on. She heard a sermon on forgiveness and on the power of love, much as you have heard this morning. And she resented every word of it, every word the preacher said. She said, I was almost tempted to yell back at him, no, you don't understand. No, I won't. I can't. He took my son. She got so upset with the sermon, she bolted out of the choir loft, ripped her choir robe off, and she headed out the door. Just as she got out the door, she felt that she heard the voice of the Lord say to her, if you keep walking on this path, you will lose not only your son, you will lose your whole life. It arrested her attention. So she walked back into the church. She saw that folks had been called to the altar. She went forward, just honestly, just to be real with God. 
to say exactly how she felt. Lord, there's nothing in me, nothing in me that could do this, nothing. I want to forgive, but I can't. I want to release that young man who was driving the car that took the life of my son. God, I don't want to be a prisoner of this hate. If I'm going to be a prisoner of anything, I want to be a prisoner of hope. And I want to be one who believes in hope and that love never fails. Dear one, this morning at Bethesda, when you come to that place of saying, God, I I can't do this on my own. I don't have it within me. I've carried this for a while, and it is so intense within me. I want you to know when you come to that point and you call on the name of the Lord, all of heaven will be with you. All of heaven will, be, will respond to you. The love of God can be poured out in your heart supernaturally. It will be your supernatural pr- surprise this year by the power of the Spirit. Well, she said that in the weeks that followed after she had opened her heart to the Lord, she felt the hatred in her heart diminish. And then something began to happen after that hatred began to melt a bit. She even began to feel compassion for that boy. And then she came to a further point, not really wanting this to happen, but she thought, I need to go visit him. I've got to go visit him. She asked permission to go see him, and permission was granted. And you know what happened? When the boy saw her, he recognized her. And he fell to his knees and he cried, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I can never repay you. Is there any way that you can forgive me? Any way that you can forgive me? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. The lady said, all I felt was love for this boy. She began visiting him more often. And then she learned from getting better acquainted with him, he didn't have a family. He'd been raised as a foster child and tossed from one home to another house, one house to another house. No family, no, nothing stable in his life. Well, a few months later, the time came for the boy to be released. But the judge said at his trial, and the lady was there, she said, I will release this young man, but I will only release him with this condition. There must be a family who will actually take him in. And at that moment... This lady, full of the Holy Spirit, walked up and stepped up to the judge. She said, sir, I will be his family. I will take him in. You know what John said, the Apostle John? This is how we know that we have passed from death unto life. That we have love. That we have supernatural love. Not love that is motivated by what everybody else is motivated by. Love that is motivated by the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. That's the mark of difference for the believer. Well, shortly thereafter, that lady and the boy she had taken in stood in church and they sang a song together, just the two of them, a song of mercy. She sang the first verse and he sang the second verse. And then together they sang the chorus And you know what the song was? Some of you will know it. The song was this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness.
How many of you are thankful for a faithful God this morning? Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. Lord, I've done the best I could with your help to deliver to our church family today a reminder that we are to be people marked by a difference. People who are marked by the difference of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. That we don't live by the same standard. We don't respond in the same spirit when we are treated a certain way. And that doesn't happen because we're all that wonderful. It can even supersede our personality, our own proclivities, our own way of doing things, our own nature. If we are to be people who will humble ourselves before you and every day go softly before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And that you will cause us to have our eyes opened even as we have lifted our hands in worship in this house today unto you to declare the greatness of our God. Now we bring our hands down as we leave from this place today. And those hands must reach out to others. Helping them. Ministering to them. Loving them. Caring for them. Caring for the one who can't love us back. Caring for the one who is unlovable. Loving the one who might spit in my face. Who has nothing but hatred for me. But I can love them back. Not because of me. Because I'm going to be a person who will walk in the Spirit and I will allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide and direct my life. And the fruit that will come from my life will be that which is honoring and pleasing to the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you that you're the one giving us help. We say this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.